Welcome to the Travel Therapy Mentor Podcast, your number one source for travel therapy information and education. Hosted by travel physical therapist duo, Jared and Whitney. Join us each week on Facebook Live to learn about a new travel therapy topic, or subscribe to our podcast to hear the replay every week. Hey everyone, Jared and Whitney here from Travel Therapy Mentor. Welcome to the second episode of our Travel Therapy 101 mini-series. Today we're going to be talking about travel therapy pay and how it works. This is a six-week mini-series that we're doing going over the basics of travel therapy. And so each week we're going to have a different topic. Last week on our first episode we did what is travel therapy in general and kind of how does it work. So today, the next episode, we're going to talk more specifically about pay and how that works. So travel therapy pay, um, most people know that you make more as a travel therapist. Typically, this is somewhere between one and a half times to two times as much as a permanent therapist working in a uh, a salary or an hourly position. But travel therapy pay is different than um, a permanent position. And you can't really talk about it in terms of uh, salary or hourly pay. And the reason for that is because it's divided into hourly pay and also stipends. So normally, um, travel therapy pay is referred to in terms of a weekly take-home number. So the way you get that weekly take-home number, that's kind of a weird thing that nobody really understands unless you get into travel therapy um, pay because that's not exactly how we talk about a normal salary position or an hourly position like Jared said. So that weekly take-home number is basically your hourly pay plus your stipend pay. So a lot of people hear the stipend thing and they don't really understand what that is or how it works. So basically the reason why you receive a stipend as a travel therapist is to help pay for your housing your meals and incidental um, expenses while you're traveling. And stipend or per diem as it's sometimes called is not, um, it's not really specific to just travel therapists or travel healthcare workers. It's actually something that the IRS and the government allows for any type of worker that has to leave home and go away for work. So sometimes I think it's easier to understand, you know, what the stipend pay is in terms of the IRS if you think about some other professions that might travel for work. So think about maybe a pilot or an electrician or a lineman that travels away from work for a while or from home for a while to go for work. So the reason why the IRS allows these tax-free stipends is say you're a pilot and you have a house, you have a mortgage, you have expenses and taxes you have to pay back home. But then sometimes for work, you have to go away. Maybe the pilot has to stay overnight at a hotel when he's traveling, he or she's traveling for work. So the government and the IRS basically says, well, we're not going to tax you on that housing expense that you have for your travel location for work because we're already taxing you back home. So to be a travel healthcare professional, if you meet the requirements and you maintain what's called a tax home, you can also qualify for these tax-free stipends because the government says, well, you're maintaining this tax home, you know, back at home, your mortgage or your rent, and you're having to pay taxes there for your living expenses. So we're not going to tax you on when you go here and live for work for a few months. Now, this really depends on this tax home thing. And we're going to talk about this more in a future video, exactly what a tax home is and how you make sure that you qualify for those tax-free stipends because some travel therapists don't. Some travel therapists are kind of like true gypsies. Like they basically just don't maintain a home base. They just travel from place to place to place for work. And if you do that and you don't maintain a true tax home or a true permanent residence, then you're basically going to take your pay at each travel contract just like a normal worker would, a normal hourly pay that's going to be all taxed. And that's okay too if you choose to do it that way. But again, in a future video, we're going to talk a little bit more about what this tax home thing is and make sure you meet the rules 
to receive these tax-free stipends. But that's just a little bit on how the stipend part of the pay works and why it's sometimes not taxed. Yep. So now let's talk a little bit about how the pay actually gets to us. So the facility that you're working at will pay the travel company that you're working through a bill rate. And then from there, the travel company pays you your hourly pay, your stipends, and your reimbursements. Um, so a bill rate is essentially an hourly number. Um, usually in our experience on the East Coast, working at our contracts is somewhere in the 60 to $75 an hour range that they pay for each hour that you work. Now, obviously the travel company has some overhead and they have to make a profit as well. So they keep a percentage of that bill rate and then the rest is given to you in the form of your hourly pay, your stipends and reimbursements. So travel pay can be divided numerous different ways. Um, your hourly pay may be higher or lower. Your stipends may be higher or lower. You may get reimbursements or not. But remember that all of this comes from the bill rate and all comes after the travel company takes out their percentage for their um, operating expenses and their profit. So it's important to remember too that a lot of times travel companies, not a lot of times, but sometimes travel companies will use like gimmicky type things. So something like they'll say, you'll get a completion bonus at the end of this contract. You'll get tuition reimbursement if you work a certain number of contracts with us, those kind of things, or they'll offer PTO or something like that. And basically, that money still comes from the bill rate. So that is just a different way of distributing that money, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's important to understand that when the facility pays the travel company, the travel company can divide that up a lot of different ways. Sometimes each company will have a certain specific way they usually divide it up, but once you get into understanding this stuff a little bit more, you can actually have intelligent conversations with your recruiters to say, I would rather my pay be structured this way. Some people really like to get reimbursed on the front end of a pay package, like at the beginning of a contract, for upfront expenses they had, like getting their license or traveling like from A to B, you know, your gas costs and that sort of thing. Because if you get a reimbursement upfront for some of that money, like say the first or second paycheck, then if you happen to get canceled later in the contract, you've already got that money in hand. Whereas some people are like, no, just divide it out equally among my weekly pay over the full length of the contract. And then my weekly pay every week will be a little bit higher. But you do run the risk there where if you got cut early, you wouldn't be able to cash in on all that money towards the end. So it really depends. And once you become a more knowledgeable and savvy traveler, you might understand a little bit more about how you can um, ask the company to see if they can structure the pay a certain way. Yeah, so the, the pay can be structured a variety of ways and it all just depends on what works for you, what works for the company. And But the important thing to remember is that that all is coming from the same place. So there's no um, just free money that's given to you extra. That's all coming from somewhere. Yeah, that's a huge point because a lot of people will be comparing pay packages. That's what we call it is the whole thing is one big pay package. And they might be comparing a pay package to another traveler or two companies side by side. They might have an offer from this company, an offer from this company. And they're like, well, you know what? This other company, they're going to pay me this reimbursement, this reimbursement, this reimbursement. But then if you really add up the pay over the whole contract, is it about the same? You have to look at these details and understand it a little further. So when you're presented with a contract, like Jared said, it's typically gonna be this hourly number plus the stipend number and then plus any reimbursements they give you. So what numbers are we looking at? What is a normal, typical hourly pay gonna look like? So for a typical PT, OT, or SLP, your hourly number might be somewhere between $15 to $30 an hour. For PTA or CODA, it might be a little bit lower. And then your stipend number could vary anywhere from maybe $800 a week to $1,300 a week. 
So usually the hourly is listed in that, you know, by the hour. Sometimes the stipend is listed as a lump sum, or there are some companies that will divide that out also into an hourly number. But the key thing here to remember is that your hourly number is your taxable money. So you have to take taxes subtracted out of that number. The stipend number you don't take taxes out of, which is why it's super hard to just compare apples to apples of a typical salary, because usually if you hear of a salaried position, they might just say, you're gonna make $70,000 this year, or you're going to make um, $35 an hour times however many hours for 52 weeks a year. Well, the reason why we don't talk about that like that with travel therapy is one, you don't work 52 weeks a year at the same job. You, you work on a week to week to week basis. Two, half the money's taxed, half the money isn't taxed. So it's super confusing. And I think it's a lot easier. We have some more detailed articles that talk about this. It's really a lot easier to look at this on paper and kind of understand how it works. So as I said, you, you would take that hourly number, let's say $20 an hour, might be a typical travel PTO to your SLP number. You would multiply that by however many hours you're gonna work, say 40. So if you took 20 times 40, that'd be 800. Now, depending on how you file your taxes, which is determined when you fill out what's called a W-4 tax form, say you're a single individual with no dependents, we would say you file single and zero, then your taxes might be, I don't know, 20 to 30%. So say you file single and zero on that $800 hourly, which was $20 an hour times 40 hours. After taxes, that might look like 600. Then you're gonna add that to your stipend and say your stipend is 1,000. So now you're making 600 plus 1,000 would be $1,600 a week. So that's how the travel therapy companies come up with this weekly take-home number. And again, that's so much easier to understand when you look at it on paper and kind of understand how that works. Yeah, so what is a normal take-home pay for a travel therapist? This varies to a huge extent depending on a variety of factors. Pay can be anywhere from, we've seen as low as $1,400 a week, even lower than that some, sometimes, um, which is not an ideal situation. That's after taxes, all the way up to $2,500 a week after taxes or even higher. Um, but on average, in our experience, it's usually somewhere between $1,500 a week and $1,800 a week after taxes. And this is for PTOT and SLP. Again, yes. if you're a nurse or you're some other discipline, could be totally different. If you're a PTA or CODA, probably lower, but typical that we've seen somewhere between 1500 and 1800 on average across the US for PTOT and speech. Yeah, and so the variables that affect which area of that range that you're in include the setting that you work in, the location, and also the size of the, the travel company that you're working with. So in general, if you're working on the East Coast, you're probably gonna make less than when you're working on the West Coast. Some of this has to do with cost of living, but some of it also just has to do with reimbursement rates in different states. Um, another thing is the setting. So normally home health pays the most for travel jobs, followed by outpatient, hospital-based, and then usually skilled nursing is the lowest. And then in terms of the company, the size of the company plays a role because the bigger the company, the more overhead they have, which means a larger percentage on average that they keep from a bill rate. So if they keep a larger percentage, then that means your pay is gonna be a little less. So with all that factored in, someone working on the East Coast and skilled nursing through a big company is almost always gonna make significantly less than someone working on the West Coast in home health, working through a smaller company. And that can be a, a big difference why the pay will vary so much, those, those three variables. And once you get into learning more about travel therapy, you can also find out that there's actually even more factors than that. Yeah. So Jared's kind of generalizing when he says West Coast, East Coast, when he says certain facilities, when he says certain size of companies, but it all just comes down to 
how much is the facility willing to pay? Which a lot of times the travel company doesn't have control over. They're like, this is the bill rate. The skilled nursing facility said, we're gonna pay this much and that's all we got. And they can sometimes go back and ask for more, but not always. And then the second layer there is how much commission or how much overhead does the travel therapy company take out? Like Jared said, sometimes bigger companies take out a bigger chunk because they have more overhead, but there are other factors, like sometimes um, there's some big companies that will have first dibs on a job. Yeah, so they'll have exclusive contracts, which means that they actually can make more for that same job than a different company would because the other company's gonna have to pay a percentage to that bigger company, um, mm. which makes things a little confusing. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of complicated. I think a big thing that a lot of people who get into travel therapy, they've talked to some other travelers and they're, they're worried about getting screwed over. They're worried like, is the recruiter taking advantage of me? Are they just keeping a big chunk of the commission? I would say that does happen sometimes, but I would say I don't think all recruiters are just out to get you or out to make more money off of you. Um, and a lot of times it gets really tricky if you try to have some of these conversations with the recruiters and you're like, well, how much are you taking out of the pay package and, and why can't you give me more? And sometimes they can tell you that, but sometimes they can't. So it just kind of depends. But for the most part, I would go into it, you know, be knowledgeable, learn as much as you can, read our articles, talk to some other travelers, but don't go into it thinking everybody's out to get you because I don't think they are yeah. for the most part. There certainly are some recruiters that will take advantage of, of travelers and especially new travelers, but that is that is probably more the exception than the rule. Most of them want to work well with you and keep you as a long-term traveler with them, and that means taking care of you um, in terms of pay and being fair. Yeah. But this brings us to another point that it can be really tricky trying to compare pay with other travelers. So we get a lot of um, newbie travelers or students or people who are thinking about switching to travel therapy that say, you know, um, I was offered this pay package and it was like $1,600 a week. But you know, my friend who did travel therapy, they said they never accepted a job below $1,800 a week. Why is that? So it kind of goes back to understanding it's really tricky to compare apples to apples with your friend or somebody else you heard of on the internet because you have to think about the facility, the type of setting they're working in, the area they're working in, the cost of living, and the company they're working with. And, and reimbursements in the contract. And reimbursements in the contract and the time frame. Like right now during, we're recording this in July 2020 and COVID is going on and it's significantly impacted the market and we will say pay is way down compared to what it was in our experience in 2015, 16, 17, 18 when things were really, really good. So your friend that might be making $1,800 to $2,000 a week as a PT, maybe they were in San Francisco Bay Area where pay is super high. Maybe they were working home health. Maybe they found like a sweet deal with a company where they took a low commission and so forth and so on. But maybe you're looking at a completely different situation than them. You want to go to the Midwest or you know the East Coast. You're, you want to go to Florida. You want to be in Miami and you want to take a sniff contract or an outpatient contract, that's going to pay starkly different than what your friend in San Francisco Bay working home health is going to make. Um, it's just a completely different area. So just be careful comparing apples to apples with your friends and with other travelers. And don't always just have the initial assumption be, I should be making more money. I'm getting screwed over. Just kind of look at the variables that go into it. Yeah. After five years of us traveling, we've been almost, we've been only on the East Coast. And we have never made anywhere near $2,000 a week after taxes. Whereas there's some new grads that will start in California working home health that will make 2,000 or more a week after taxes. So if you're on the East Coast and you're working in hospital or skilled nursing and you're waiting for a $2,000 a week contract, you're probably gonna be waiting forever. It's probably not gonna happen. Yeah. Or if it does, you're gonna miss so much work that it's probably not worth it 
anyway. Yeah, um, we've worked only on the East Coast and most of our contracts have been somewhere in the $1,500 to $1,800 range. Now we have found some, some jobs in like rural locations in Virginia, North Carolina, low cost of living that were in that $1,700, $1,800 range. And that was really good. That was really lucky. But we would have been okay with 15 or 16 because our cost of living would have been so low. You have to think about all those factors. Yeah. Um, so in general, our recommendation has always been what people say, like, what's normal? What should I not take any lower than this amount? So in the past, we've always said as a PT, OT, or SLP, try not to take anywhere lower than $1,500 a week after taxes. And in some areas of the country, like if you come to us and say, hey, Whitney and Jared, um, I was offered $1,500 and it's in San Francisco. Uh, and it's home health, we would say, no, that's way too low. If it's home health in San Francisco, it should easily be $1,700, $1,800 a week. But if it's Iowa or Illinois or somewhere in the middle of the country and it's SNF and it's like $1,499 a week, yes, it's below $1,500, but like that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, and that was pre-COVID. Definitely during COVID, we've seen some pay, unfortunately, like $1,350 to $1,450. Normally in the past, we'd be like, red flag, don't take it. Not at all. But now we're kind of like, okay, well, if you're a new grad and if it's a low cost of living area and if you've interviewed for 10 jobs and you finally got an offer and it was 1400 a week, take it. Because right now, a lot of people are having trouble finding jobs and there is such a thing as opportunity costs, which we've talked about before, where if you are waiting and waiting and waiting and turning down job and turning down job after job just to get 50 more dollars a week or a hundred more dollars a week, you've wasted all these weeks that you could have been bringing in 1450 a week. So over the length of a 13 week contract, how much money did you really gain by waiting for that job that paid $100 more a week Yep. by missing a whole week or two weeks or three weeks of pay? So just a lot of things to think about, but in general, I would say don't go above, below 1500 a week is usually our recommendation for PTs, OTs, and SLPs. Yep. So this was just a basic overview of how travel therapy pay works. We've gone much in, much more in depth in prior articles and videos that you can check out. Um, the videos and articles, check out um, TravelTherapyMentor.com uh, to find those. Yep. Um, this series that we mentioned, the Travel Therapy 101 Basic Series, we're going to be doing for another four weeks after this. You can find the full series with all the links to the podcast, the videos, and the articles for this mini-series on our website at TravelTherapyMentor.com. If you just click on the section that says Travel Therapy 101 The Basics, you'll find all the links there. Um, you can find last week's videos, podcasts, an article which was on what is travel therapy and how does it work. This week, um, we will publish this video to our YouTube channel and our podcast for listening. So if you want to find um, the audio or the YouTube videos in the future, please subscribe on either our YouTube channel or our podcast channel. And then this coming Saturday, we'll put out an article kind of summarizing everything we talked about today, a real basic overview of how travel therapy pay works. So if you wanna look at that article, kind of see it all in written format, hang in there until Saturday and you'll see that on our website at TravelTherapyMentor.com. And then next week we'll be coming to you with our next topic in the series. Yep. Thanks for joining. Uh, and all you guys that joined live, thank you. If you could please like this video, follow our page um, for future videos. That would be wonderful. See all you right, next week. guys. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.